Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. And I just once again want to ask you to maintain that same spirit as we go to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to to do what it has done for so many people, transform us. And then after this word, I believe that God, you know, I, I, I didn't know why God led me to preach this passage. I even told him, Lord, I don't think anybody needs to hear this. I said, I said God, I, I don't, I think this is something that we all know. I don't think that this is going to be any new revelation for somebody. But all I am is the, the messenger. I have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And, and after today, after this, it's, it's becoming more apparent to me why God wants to speak this word. And so if, if you will, just in that same spirit, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. talk about Peter this morning. Peter, we know Peter as a spokesperson of the 12 disciples. Peter was always ready. He was confident. He was bold. And maybe even at times a little cocky as he perceived himself spiritually. But Peter is a, Peter is a man an example of someone who had a tremendous calling, but also had a tremendous fall. Anybody in the room have a tremendous fall before? Amen. Whether other people know about it or not, it hurts more when people know about it. But whether they know it or not, we've all failed miserably in the presence of God. And there's two people who, who stand out when we talk about the arrest of Jesus. You have, you have Peter, and the other one is, is Judas. Both were disciples, both were with Jesus for three years, both had an enormous potential to do something great for the kingdom of God, and both of them have a great fall, but only one of them, Peter, is restored. Only Peter goes back to doing the work of Christ. Judas, his fall led to his death. And I want to tell somebody this morning that falling does not have to lead to your death. Falling doesn't have to be the end of your walk with Christ. This is the greatest lie that I have seen people believe is that they are not good enough for the grace of God. And I think we believe that because it's partially true. We aren't good enough for the grace of God. We don't deserve the grace of God. But because he has given it to us as a gift, we are able to receive it with somebody say the word confidence. We're able to receive his grace with confidence. He wants you to have his grace so badly that he would send his own son to die for your sin. But so often we crown shame and guilt the champion when the champion is grace. And I've seen ministers, great ministers fall and never return to ministry. Even worse, never return to the church. They give in to their falling rather than repenting. 
and taking the greatest gift that we have, which is grace. The story of Peter reminds us that that forgiveness is possible. Amen. Amen. Restoration is possible. And that and that grace, it covers a multitude of sin. But so many times people in the church, we know the verse, I think it's Romans in Romans uh, 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And we look at that verse and we think, well, that's the end. What's the point of going on further? But the end of that verse says, but the gift of grace has been given to you through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And that is what we need to hold on to. And so I know I have you standing here. I want to pick up Here, Matthew 26, verse 30. This is after Jesus and the disciples partake in the Lord's Supper. Jesus takes the bread and the wine and he tells his disciples to eat of it and drink of it as a symbol of his body. And verse 30 says this. It says, then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives on the way. Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Going down to verse 47, it says, and even as Judas said to this, uh, Jesus said to this, Judas, one of the 12, arrived with the crowd of men armed with swords and clubs, and they had been sent by the leading priests and the elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. That just, that just gets me so, that just breaks my heart, man. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you came here to do. And then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus, John's gospel tells us that this man was Peter, pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. And at that point, listen, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Let's just pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word, my God. I pray, Father God, a, a, just a, a sensitivity right now to your, to your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father God, that we would receive this word with meekness, Father God. We would receive it with humility. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what you want to do this morning, Father God. And I pray that this word would not only convict, but transform, save, heal, and free. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. 
I entitled the sermon today, Good Grief. And that'll, that'll make sense later, I promise. But I, I was reading this text this week, and after I read it, I, I, I sat down for about five minutes in silence, um, just trying to, to picture you know, the scene, trying to understand what was going on, trying to envision you know, where everybody was at, and, and trying to understand what was probably going through Peter's mind. I wanted to know what was going through Peter's mind in this moment. Peter, at this point, had come such a long way in his understanding of who Jesus is. A long way. There's a lot of maturity that has happened in the life of Peter. If you go back 10 chapters to Matthew 16, uh, Jesus tells his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and ultimately die. And at that point, you have a, a less mature Peter who tells Jesus, the Bible says that uh, Peter rebukes Jesus. And he says, far be it from you, Lord, that will never happen to you. You're not going to die. You're not going to go to the cross. And, and here in chapter 26, Peter seems to have already accepted the fact that Jesus must die. He might not understand the why, but, but he understands that this is something that my Lord said needs to happen. So now his profession is different. Now he's saying, Jesus, if you die, I'm going to die with you. I'm going to die defending you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down fighting with you. And you know what? I, I, I think that Peter was willing to be a martyr for Jesus. I genuinely believe that Peter meant it when he said, even if I have to die with you, I will. I don't think Peter was just saying words. I really believe that he, he believed it in his heart. And this is why when Peter sees the soldiers coming to arrest Jesus, what does Peter do? He draws his sword and he strikes somebody's ear. He's ready to fight. And so I'm inclined to believe that in the context of a fight, Peter would have been willing to die for Jesus. Had this been a war, Peter would have been on the front lines. He would have been leading the charge because this is what, Pe this is what Peter did. This is who Peter was. Peter was fierce in the way that he loved Jesus. He was passionate in the way that he loved Jesus. Jesus, I'm willing to fight for you. I'm willing to kill for you. And even if I die in the process, so be it because I love you. I genuinely believe that in the context of a fight, Peter would have laid down his life for Jesus because that's how Peter knew how to love Jesus. So Peter kind of gets a curveball thrown at him when Jesus looks at Peter and says, put your sword away. This isn't it. This isn't the way that you demonstrate love to me right now. And I just imagine Peter like dumbfounded, like, like Jesus, this is the way that I know how to love you. This is, this is how I show my devotion to you by, by, by standing up for you and, and by, by, be, by being willing to die for you. This is how I show love. I think we all have a way that we show love. Some people are, some people are huggers, right? Like big huggers, like, like chill out huggers. <laughs> but that's the way that they show you love. It's with their affection. Other people show love by, by serving. They may never compliment you. They may never say anything nice to you. They may never buy you a gift for your birthday. They may never even say, I love you, but you know that they love you by the way that they serve you. My suegra, I, she will never say those three words, I love you, unless it's to her cats, right? 
but never to a human. <laughs> but we know that she loves her family by the way that she serves her family. Others show love by, by giving you stuff, by, by showering you with gifts. Uh, others show love by, with their words, their appreciation. That's the way that I typically show my love is with my words. So if I appreciate you, that's me showing you love. We all have a way, right, of, of showing and giving love. But just because you show love a certain way doesn't mean that it's received very well in the same way. My wife received love in a way that isn't natural for me to show love. My wife is all about acts of service. Show me you love me. Don't just tell me you love me. And so, you know, this happens a lot. I'll see her and I think she looks beautiful and I'll tell her, girl, you're looking good, girl. And she'll look at me like, what do you want? You know, but I'm genuinely trying to express to her that I love her. I love with my words. I, I, I wrote, I've written her many songs. I wrote her two songs on our wedding day. I sang both of them to her on our wedding day. That's the way that I express love. The opposite is true. If, if she were to come in, because she always wants me to do stuff. That's the way she wants me to love her is by doing stuff. But the opposite is true. If, if she were to come into, into the room and, and tell me, boy, you're looking good. That is, I, I would feel the most loved ever by her. I don't need her to do stuff for me. I just need her to tell me and know that she means it, right? But we do this with God. Many of us, we, we only know how to love God a certain way. And, and so when God calls for a different demonstration of love, we don't always know what to do with it. Maybe, maybe you know how to love God, but you don't really know how to love him through loving people because you don't really like people. And if you don't like people, you definitely don't love people. And so you tell God, God, I love you with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength. And I give everything to you. It's people that are the problem. And God is like, well, that's great. And I appreciate the praise offering. But if you can't love your neighbor, you're failing to show me you love me. Maybe, maybe you love God with your time, but you don't love him with your giving. Holy Spirit, check me on this, man. Years ago, there was a time where I wasn't tithing regularly. I wasn't giving regularly. I was like, man, 10%, God, that's, that's a lot. Can we work out a deal, you know, like 6% or something? But I wasn't, I wasn't tithing regularly, and I, and I justified it. I remember justifying it with God. I said, God, I give you all of my time. Like, all of my time is devoted to you. That's all I do with my life. It's given to you. I give you way more time than most people give you. And the moment I tried to justify it, like the moment those words came out of my mouth, it, I, I felt the conviction right away. God was like, you're giving me with your time, but you're not giving me with your money. You failed to trust me with your finances. The opposite is true. Maybe you love God with everything that you know how to give financially, but you've never given him an ounce of your time. And so sometimes unnatural ways of showing love to God are so uncomfortable that we don't know what to do. We, we, we love God, but how do I love you like this? How, how do I love you by doing nothing? Because so many of us, we're always trying to do something. We're always trying to do, we're trying to make things better. We're, we're trying to please God with our actions by trying to fix things. But God might be saying, look, calm down and let me handle it. Love me by letting go. Love me by trusting me. Love me by being obedient to the things 
that don't come natural to you. See, Peter was a fighter. That's what he knew how to do. He was a leader. He, he, he knew how to be proactive. He was always a disciple doing something. He couldn't help himself. He was the one always asking questions, even if it made him look dumb. All the other disciples, they probably went to Peter and they're like, hey, Peter, ask Jesus this. He had no shame in asking the dumbest questions. That was Peter. He had to be the one to step out of the boat. He was even comfortable enough rebuking Jesus when, when, when he told Jesus, you're not going to die. You know, we've, we've, all heard, uh, we've all heard that saying, if you love me, let me go, right? Because that's basically what, what Jesus told Peter. If you love me, put your sword away. Stop. This isn't, you're not, we're not getting into a fight here. Chill out. If you love me, let me go. When you hear those words, it's, it's never good because it means that the person telling you doesn't love you like the way you love them. And it, 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 uh, it creates like this, this paradox where on the one hand, I love you so much, why would I let you go? But on the other hand, if you're telling me that this is the way I show you love, I should let you go. So Peter, Peter was ready to fight. He already started the fight. Because that's how he knew how to love Jesus. Jesus. This is why he says, Jesus, I will die with you. This is probably what he had in mind. But Jesus says, put your, put your sword away. This is supposed to happen. And in and, and verse 56 says, all the disciples left and fled. Now, this is what's interesting to me. Verse 58 tells us that Peter followed Jesus at a distance to see how it would all end. All the disciples fled. Jesus, uh, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Peter always, man, Peter, Peter always gets the, the, the slack, man. Like we're, he, we're always talking mess about Peter because Peter was the one we, we, we criticized for not having enough faith to walk all the way to Jesus, but he was the only one who stepped out of the boat. We criticized him for denying Jesus three times, but he was the only one, along with another uh, disciple, John tells us, who followed Jesus when everybody else left. So, so I want you to, I want you to, I'm trying, I'm going somewhere. Even though it might've been uncomfortable for Peter to leave Jesus behind doing nothing, even, even though it was awkward for him to just have his hands in his pockets doing nothing while he was witnessing his Lord being beaten and being on trial and being mocked and being persecuted and being arrested. It had to be hard for Peter just to just stand there looking at his Lord doing nothing. Had to be so hard for him. Because again, there's people who only know how to show you love by what they do. They, they just, they have to do something. Where's Pastor Danny? I'm going to pick on him this morning. Pastor Danny, there he is. He's in the sound booth, making my point. <laughs> Pastor Danny, he can't stay still. He always has to be doing something. He always has to help someone. He, that, that, that's his heart. He just wants to serve. And so he's always like, all right, where can I, where can I, where can I serve? What can I do? Who can I hold the door open for? Whose baby can I carry in from the parking lot? Like he's always doing something. And I know that it's awkward for him when he's like doing nothing <laughs> because that's not him. And so Peter's back there. He's doing, he's doing nothing because Jesus told him, do nothing. This is what has to happen. 
And so at this point, I believe that Peter is still proving himself that he loves Jesus enough that he's been faithful enough to not leave Jesus behind. He's not able to show his love in the way that he wants to show it, but he's still demonstrating it by being there for Jesus, even if it's at a distance. You know, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was the hardest thing for me to, to let go of, of, of worship ministry. For those who, who haven't been here that long, I used to be on the keys and in the mic every, every Sunday for like since I was 13 years old. And worship has been my first love, worship music. My first love in ministry, that's all I thought I wanted to do with my life. That's all my desire was for. I, I just wanted to write music and sing music and lead people into the Holy of Holies and, and give God everything that I had with my voice and my hands through music. In fact, that was the name of my very first album, 2008, Reach the World Through Music. You can stream it on Spotify, Apple Music. <laughs> Reach the World Through Music, because that was, that was my heart at the time. That's all I wanted to do is I, I wanted to take the gospel through music. And I believed that it was going to happen. And then... And then I, I remember years ago, a, a preacher came and uh, he gave me this prophetic word that, that I only remembered actually when I was preparing the sermon. His, his name was, was Milton. He, I believe he passed away shortly after uh, he came to visit us. But he gave me this word. He said, brother, he was a brother. He said, brother, I don't know you. I don't know what you've been through. But the Lord is telling me to tell you that you are more than a songwriter. And at the time, that's all I wanted to be. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to be a recording artist, making my own music. And then he said, God has something more for you that you don't see yet. And it, it, it took a while for me to begin to see it. 2014, God began to burden me for something else. He began to put in me a pastoral spirit, even though all my life I was like, I'm never going to be a pastor. He began to put in me a desire that craved an understanding for his word, even though I had no desire to preach or teach his word. But he was, he was doing something in me. He was, he was calling me to love him in the way that for so much of my life I was uncomfortable with. And I said, God, I don't know how to be, I don't know how to love you by being a pastor. I don't know how to love you as a preacher. Put me behind a keyboard. I will pour out my heart to you. Put me behind a pulpit. I don't know what to do with it. But I did it anyways. And, and today I have no greater joy than preparing a message and delivering it to the people of God. I have no greater joy than seeing people respond to the word of God that brings conviction and transformation. I love to see that. But, but there was a time where I, I, it was awkward for me because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to show God my devotion through something that I didn't naturally think that I, I could do. And maybe God is, is challenging you this morning to love him in a way that you've never loved him before. Abraham loved God with his faith and obedience. Moses loved God by being a pastor to the Lord's people, needy people. David loved God through his worship and his dancing. Even when his wife was like, why are you dancing naked in the presence of God? He was like, mind your business, woman, because this is the way that I love the Lord. Paul loved God through his preaching and through his evangelizing, establishing churches. I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying that you don't love God, but I'm, I'm asking you the question, how are you demonstrating your love for God? Because we say we love God. How are you showing it? Look, love is not a feeling. I feel love. Who, who says that? 
Men, imagine asking your wife, do you love me? And she says, I feel like I do. What the heck is that? <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want that. Because love is more than something that you feel. It's something you do. Right? It's, it's, it's doing even when you don't feel it. Boys and girls, I hope you heard that, okay? Think you're in love. You don't know love until you can continue loving even when you don't feel the love. That's what love is. Because love is commitment, it is submission, it is obedience. Paul says it is patient, it is kind, it does not boast, it does not envy, it does not insist on its own way, it is not selfish. Love bears all things, endures all things, love never ends. It's not a feeling. And so if I were to ask you, how are you loving God, what would your answer be? Still with me? That's kind of my intro. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the main thing that I wanted to focus on today was, was the failure of Peter. Because Peter, he fails. And all, I, up until this point, I mean, I, I've been talking up Peter. Talking about his love for Jesus. Peter loves Jesus so much that he would, he would fight for Jesus. He loves him enough that he would not leave him during his arrest, even though everybody else left him. Peter loves Jesus. Why then does Peter fail so miserably in the way that he does? If Peter loved Jesus so much, why would you deny him? Go to verse 69. It says this. It says, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came over to him and said, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl no- noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore Curse on me if I'm lying. I do not know the man. This, this, this isn't one denial. It's not two denials. This is three. Three times in a row, Peter, who was standing at a distance because he loves his Lord, denies him three times. And he doesn't just deny it. I mean, he, verse 74 says, curse on my life if I'm lying. He, he pinky swears. I don't know the man. And you know, as I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking like, what if all of that happened now? What if that, what if, what if Peter denied Jesus today in the 21st century and it would make world news, you know, prominent disciple denies Jesus three times. What would the comments say from Christians That man don't love Jesus. That man's a hypocrite. No coming back from that. I hope he's going to step down in ministry. I don't want to be taught by him. That's a fake apostle. That's a fake disciple. Canceled. Three years of ministry. Canceled. That's, that's, That's the way the world handles things these days. And I'm sad to say that Christians really aren't an exception. We, 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 we kick our own when they're down, man. Because if they've sinned against God, they deserve the wrath of God. It's like, we, it's like we root for people to sin so that we can say God smite him. 
Let me, let me talk to you real quick. Let's get real. Personal time, okay? By show of hands, how many of you, since you have been saved, have sinned against God? Amen. Some of y'all are, 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 are holy. I got to take some notes. We all fall short of the glory of God. Every single day. This is why, this is why it's, it's a very common thing for somebody who's already been saved to, to get saved like 10 more times. I remember my cousin, man, every time, every time we would do like an altar, altar call, call of salvation, he would raise his hand. I, I wanted to say, bro, you got saved last week, bro. Put it, put it down. <laughs> because, you know, the moment we say yes to Jesus, we're so excited and we, we, we go run and we stumble like five seconds later. That's how it is. Since you have received Jesus and in his love and in his grace, we have all sinned. Now, let me ask you a follow-up question. For those who said yes, how many of you, when you sinned, sinned because you stopped loving Jesus? Of those of you who have sinned, when you sinned, did you do it because you stopped loving Jesus? Or did you do it because maybe you're human and you had a moment of imperfection? You had a moment of weakness. You had a moment where you were in your emotions and you were vulnerable. You had a moment where you succumbed to the pressure and, and the temptation that in a moment where, where your spirit was weak, your flesh was stronger, and you fell into sin. That's usually how it happens. As Christians, we... So many times we're going to miss the mark. That's what sin means. The Greek word is harmatia, which literally means miss the mark. So if I'm a Christian and if you, you picture God in the bullseye and we're, we're, we're right there kind of shooting darts, we're never going to get the middle. Never. We're always, going, we're always going to be off. The only one who got it right was Jesus. That's it. That's why he had to be the sacrifice. Because we always miss the mark. Even if Jesus is living in you, you're going to miss the mark. Jesus lives in my wife, but so does the Gulf Gate gangster, right? <laughs> we're always, we're always going to miss the mark. But listen, when we miss the mark, when we sin, it doesn't mean that we stopped loving Jesus. Now, look, none of this is a pass to sin. I hope nobody's taking it that way, right? Taking advantage of the grace of God is not loving God. But if we do sin, the Bible tells us that, that we have an advocate in Christ Jesus, the righteous one. And so now I, I want to I speak to, to somebody that I believe that God, this is why God led me to preach this sermon. Sin should bring shame. When you sin, you should mourn over your sin. The gospel of Luke tells us that after the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words that Jesus said that he would deny him three times. The Bible says that he went away to weep bitterly. He was guilty. He was in shame. After talking this big game, Lord, I will I will die for you after standing at a distance to continue showing his love and loyalty to Jesus, that he was still going to be there even when everybody else left. When the pressure comes on strong, Peter has a moment 
where he gives into the flesh and he denies his Lord. And for Peter, this is the biggest mistake of his life. A man trying to prove his love for his Lord ends up denying him all in the same night. And it causes him to grieve, causes him sorrow. And there's a lot of people that I know, and my heart breaks for them, that they have crowned grief the champion. The grief that you're feeling, it's good. That's where, that's where the phrase good grief comes from. It actually comes from the Bible. The Bible says that grief leads us to repentance. So if you feel sorrow and you feel shame and you feel guilt, it's not, it's not always a bad thing because it's meant to lead you back into a restored relationship with God. The Apostle Paul, he was writing uh, to, to the Corinthians. There's, there's four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Two of them are lost. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But in 2 Corinthians, he references one of those lost letters where apparently Paul really, I mean, he brought the hammer on him. And, and he was really harsh with them and he rebuked them and he corrected a lot of, of their sin. And so it brought grief to the church. And so he says this in 2 Corinthians 7, 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the, leader, the, the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This is the difference between Peter and Judas. Both felt grief. Both felt remorse. But Judas let the grief kill him rather than allowing the grace to kill the grief. And, and, and I don't know, maybe the reason God led me to preach this today is because there's, there's people in the room whose grief, is, you're, it's just killing you. And you have this sin that is weighing you down, or maybe it's not even a, a sin that you're, you're committing today. Maybe it's just a past that nobody knows about, but you know about it. And, it, and it, it makes you feel shameful every single day you wake up. You, you wish you could erase it. And so you're trying to wash your stains by doing good things. And you're trying to wash your stains by coming to church and by reading your word. But I want you to know that the only thing that can wash your stains is Jesus and his blood and the grace of God that was freely given to you. There is nothing you can do to wash your sins. But Jesus can't. This is when we were singing this song, Jesus, you shout Jesus. Jesus truly is the answer to everything. He is the antidote to that, 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 that killing sin that has destroyed so many. Jesus, if you just take Jesus. And so when you stand before the presence of God, and I've seen it many, many, many times, and I think this is probably the thing that breaks my heart more than anything else. People 
standing in the presence of God in a pool of their regret and a pool of their grief and a pool of their shame. And they, they, they leave the altar and they're still carrying it. I'm, I'm here to tell you today, leave it at the altar because if you take it with you, it will kill you like Judas. If you take it with you, it will convince you that you are not good enough for the free get, uh, gift of grace. If God can forgive a murderer, an adulterer, and at the end of the day, say that he is the man after God's own heart. We wouldn't treat, we, we wouldn't treat David the way that God treated him. There, there's women who will never forget, for, forgive infidelity, adultery. And I'm not here today to to speak into your issues, but hopefully no one has those issues. But God, he forgives the sins that man deems unforgivable. And that truly reflects his goodness and how we miss the mark yet again. The God that forgave Peter, the God that forgave the past of the Apostle Paul, he can forgive every single one of your sins. And I'm, I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm, I'm getting ready to close. But Guilt has a way of convincing us that our love for God is a fraud. And if you didn't hear that, I want to say it again. Guilt has a way of convincing you that your love for God is a fraud. And that's why I love the, 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 the restoration story of Peter so much. One of my favorite dialogues in the Bible is this exchange between Jesus and Peter. This is after Peter, uh, or this is after Jesus resurrects and he appears to the 12. The Bible says that Peter, in his guilt, in his shame, in his embarrassment, he goes back to what he was doing before he became a disciple. He went back to to his life as a fisherman. He says, well, Jesus, the era is done. I denied him three times in front of everybody. The disciples know about it. I I can't even face half of them. And so he goes back to doing what he was doing before. And and I love this story because Jesus, he, he, he finds him there on the water. And he does a miracle just as he did when he first called Peter. And he confronts Peter. The Bible says that some of the other disciples are there. And again, I just, I try to imagine what's going on in the scene. Peter's talking to Jesus. If I'm Peter, I can't even look Jesus in the eye. And Peter says, or Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Scholars, scholars believe that the these that Jesus was referring to was, was his old life, the fishing equipment. Maybe he was pointing, pointing to the boat. Maybe he was pointing to, to his gear. 
Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than this life that you left behind when you, when you became one of my disciples? Do you love me more than this? And what does Peter say? Yes. You know I do. See, even though if you were to ask people who are not in the church today, people who maybe at one point they were fired up for God, maybe they had a, a beautiful ministry, maybe they were, maybe they were in prayer all the time. I mean, they, they just had the love of God in them. And they're not here anymore. After a a moment of weakness and they never returned. But if you were to ask those same people today, do you still love Jesus? What, what do you think they're going to say? Of course I do. Yeah, I still love Jesus. I've told the story before of the time where we, we left to, to Colorado. Um, I was a kid. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know it at the time, but my parents were running away from, from ministry, from the Lord and, it was two years in, and I remember being awake one night. They, God has done a, a complete restoration in them, okay? <laughs> I have to preface that with... But they, they, they were arguing. My dad came home really late. He was out with some friends. My mom was worried about him. We were living in the mountains. We didn't really have a good signal, so she would call and he wouldn't answer and I'm, I'm in the bedroom and they're having this argument. And then my mom says some words to, to my dad. And then she, she leaves. She's walking out the door. And can I be politically incorrect right now? And my mom, I said, oh, hell no. And I, and I went to run towards her. I was about 10 years old. And I, I didn't ask her, mom, do you still love dad? Are y'all getting divorced? I didn't ask that question. I said, are you still saved? Do you, do you still love, do you still love Jesus? Do you, do you still love God? And for someone who has tasted the grace of God, someone who has tasted the sweetness of God, the fragrance of God, the love of God. It's so hard for somebody who has said yes to God in the past to resist the love of God. And there's people out in the world today who were once in the church, but because of a falling out, because of a moment of weakness, they're not here. But if you ask them, do you still love Jesus? They're going to say, yes, of course I do. They're just too ashamed to return. Maybe some of them failed miserably in front of the whole church. Maybe they caused some church hurt. Maybe somebody in the church hurt them. And they're too ashamed to go back. And so I, I love the fact, I love the fact that Jesus himself asked Peter this question. Because I, I think... Had Jesus not asked Peter this question, I don't think Peter would have went back. But Jesus needs Peter to know that if he does in fact love Jesus, there's work to do. 
Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do. Jesus says, okay, tend my sheep. I know you love me too. Tend my sheep. He didn't say, Peter, I need you to take 10 weeks off in disciplina. He says, I know you love me. You need to know you love me. Do the work that I've called you to do. And then Jesus asks one more time, Peter, do you love me? The Bible says that, that Peter was grieved that Jesus had asked the same question a third time. This is that good grief, that good grief that I mentioned earlier. For a sinner, grief will either lead you to grace so that the grief is no more, or you will allow it to defeat you by living it, living with it the rest of your life. That's, that's, that's the only two options you've got because we're all going to feel grief in our life because we're all going to fall short of the glory of God. And you're going to return to God saying, God, here I am again, a sinner again. I fell to the same thing again. I fell to my pride again. But I still love you. And it's that good grief that will lead you to his restoration. Three times, look, I want you to see this. Three times Peter denied Jesus and three times Jesus allows Peter to reaffirm his love for Jesus. I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if you understand the, the power and the symbolism of, of that to our lives. One time I denied you, but I still love you. Two times I failed you, but I still love you. Three times I sinned against you, but God, I still love you. And I, I have sinned against God way more times than I can count. I have sinned against God probably over a million times in my life, but it's by the grace of God that he still accepts my I love you. For every one of my failures, every single one of my failures, he allows me to run back to him because he looks at my heart and he knows that my love for him is real. I know that every single one of us in the room, every single one of us, we struggle. We struggle with something. You're struggling with something. There's, there, there's, there's something in your life that you have not been able to let go of. And you're like, you're like, Paul, God, take this away from me. Take it away. Take away this weakness. As much as we try, we can't get any better. We still struggle with pride. We still struggle with temptation. Some of us still struggle with lust. We still struggle with jealousy and insecurities. And we hate the sin. We hate it. We hate it because we know it's an offense to God. And it's spiritually frustrating to know that we're always falling before the presence of God. And God, why am I still dealing with this? God, why haven't I gotten over this? But for every failure, God is there. Welcome you back into his presence. I see your heart. I see it. I see your love. I have seen your devotion. Don't let grief, don't let guilt, don't let shame tell you that you don't love me because I know that you do. Guilt and shame is real, but it has been used by the enemy as a weapon to keep Christians down. It has been, it has been weaponized to the church 
so that we don't get back up. We leave the cross down and we turn the other way because this grief is greater than the grace. And I'm here to tell you today that my God's grace is infinite. It is infinite and it covers a multitude of sin. And if you love God, if you love God, keep going. Keep going. I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one who has struggled with some of the thing, the same things over and over again. And, and, I, and, I, and, and you go to God and you're like, God, I, feel, I, don't, I don't even feel like I'm worthy enough to tell you I love you. Because it's not normal for us. It's not normal for us. If you hurt somebody, they can forgive you one time. You hurt them again the same way. Maybe they'll forgive you again. You hurt them again. They're going to cut you off at some point. And at that point, you're going to accept it because you're like, I don't, I don't deserve their forgiveness at this point. God's grace is not normal. God's forgiveness surpasses that of anybody. So I want to speak to that shame this morning. I want to speak to that guilt. I want to speak to that regret and that remorse that you're feeling this morning. Leave it at the altar. Leave it at the altar. If you hate your sin and you love the Lord, God will see your heart. And go and sin no more. Go and, 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 and try to elevate your faith. But if you do sin... Don't stay down. Because there's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We worship you, God. We worship you, Lord. open up these altars this morning for freedom. Freedom. And I'm, 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 I think God is talking about some deep freedom this, this morning. He's something deep. Something that you have not yet been able to let go of. It plagues your mind. It keeps you down. It keeps you from moving on. It, 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 it keeps you from doing ministry because you're like, how can I do ministry with this past? You're paralyzed. You're spiritually paralyzed by your, by your shame. God wants to free you this morning. God wants to free you. I want to fill these altars. Can we do that, church? As we call upon the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.